Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing, which of course is going to include that big pipe day that they didn't run. Stacey and I are going to break down the rest of the event in a separate podcast after this one, but this one's going to be dedicated to Stab in the Dark episode two, a big story from Jed Smith about how bodyboarders became the world's best surf cinematographers, an interview with Leo Fioravanti, who's about to face off against John Florence at Pipeline, and a fun cultural one, seven ins and outs for surf culture in 2024. Let's drop in. Mikey, how are we? Oh, Buck, it's another great week, isn't it? It's Pipeline's on, the sun is shining. When is Pipeline on? Um... What what what, well, what event were you watching? <laughs> okay, Pipeline's been on and off. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into yeah, that. It's coming. But still, yeah, we got stab in the dark. We got we got so many things happening this week. Should we just drop straight in? Ooh, yeah, Rod Hogan, let's go. Stab in the dark with Kolohe and Dino, episode two, which is of course supported by our friends at O'Neill. In this episode, we see Kolohe try the Chili, the DHD, the Rusty, the JS, and the Channel Islands, and he's trying all those boards at a new venue. This one is called Karamas, I think a wave that um, everybody's quite familiar with, including the people who burned him that you get to see in the credits, which I think is, yeah, it's such a good episode, but it it was such a nice way to kind of end it, don't you think? I mean, yeah, like, it's funny, because you can be the highest paid pro surfer in the world. And there are still going to be some random Russians in Bali who have no idea who you are and are going to take off in front of you with booties, on. booties and hats with booties and yeah. hats. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then work. And then in doing so work their way into like the one of stabs, like biggest surf project of the year. Just a thing that like the entire surf world sees just so unknowingly. It's yeah. amazing. I bet there are some Russian like reality TV shows that we're in and we have no idea that we're just doing all these like Russian faux pas. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, I'm probably big over there, man. <laughs> There's probably some great shit they they do. You seen, you know, those Instagram accounts and stuff. Anyway, Kalawe has a bit of a roller coaster ride, doesn't he here? He um has a board that he claims is so bad that he thought the shaper was fucking with him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just such a deep level of uh I still think when Jordy said that a board was a waste of a grip, I still think that is my favorite stab in the dark uh, critique line, a way of saying that this board really doesn't work. But thinking that a shaper is fucking with you, um, that is kind of a new level of you not getting along with the board. And we'll get into that. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. But he also falls in love with the board. And romanticizes about how special that experience is. We see a magic board in this episode. Yeah, well, okay. We see a magic board, and then we hear him talk about another board that he thinks is the magic board. Is That was my experience watching it. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. You thought that one... Did you get that too? You thought one looked better under his feet and because he doesn't have his entourage there because he can't see it. You thought one looked better, but he can't... He's just going off feeling. I mean, I'm not going to get too much into detail, but let's just say if I was this shaper and I watched this episode and they even used those anecdotes from previous Stab in the Darks mm. where surfers went back and finally saw themselves surfing this particular brand Ooh. and thought they looked best on it but didn't pick it, 
I don't know, there's some crazy connection there. And the same thing happened to Kolohe, like where he was doing what I thought was clearly, I mean, granted, in the first episode, he was surfing much like bigger, more powerful waves. So it was, it's kind of hard to say he was surfing better than that, because the waves here were, you know, like super playful and fun. But for for waves like that, like, you know, chest high and clean, like I haven't seen Kolohe surf as well as he did on this one board. Um, in a long time and his shaper or sorry not his shaper his longtime filmer Jacob Vanderwerk said the same exact thing oh um, I love so that. yeah that's one of the fascinating angles of stab in the dark yeah 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 huh I mean I thought both those boards look really good I thought the board that he that you're talking about and the board that he did say is his was a magic board I thought they both look good um you thought the the one looked object like just far and away better? Not even close in my mind. Like wow, yeah. I mean, and I, I think thought it I mean good, but I thought they both did. Kolohe was at the the premiere that we did in La Jolla. We do a, a couple of premieres usually for each of these episodes. This time we did one in Santa Cruz, one in La Jolla. Um, maybe you did something in Europe that I don't even know about. But anyway, Kolohe was at Final. the We're coming. La Jolla one. We're coming. Oh, yes. All right keep us up to date um Kolohe was at the La Jolla premiere and even he said like wow if I knew how good that one board looked I probably would have sent that straight to the final damn that is wild and like you said when you watch this episode you will see that this is not a one-off instance this has happened year after year which must just be so confusing for the brand um to the same brand yeah that's that's the craziest part like you're this yeah, guy, you're like, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, god damn it! <laughs> like, yeah. and a four-time finalist, like never a winner, just just sitting in that bridesmaid zone. But he still has a chance. Kolohe, to be clear, he did not eliminate this board. This board is going into a surf off in the third episode, which will drop in two weeks, uh, with the other boards that are kind of like on that bubble of are they good enough to be in the final or should I get rid of them? So this board still very much has a chance to make the final and win Stab in the Dark. But just based off of first impressions, it was so crazy to me how well he was surfing and how that didn't necessarily translate to what he was feeling. He still said he liked the board, but he didn't love the board like he did another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey, it's not out. It's not out. One board definitely is out. He meets 13 surfboards, gets rid of one immediately, starts trying 12. And as you notice when you watch the series, like he knows that we're, there are some curveballs in the mix. Like I think when a surfer does stab in the dark, they know that they're going to ride boards from the most popular shapers in the world, like the, the shapers that they see under the feet of world tour surfers. The, the, the boards that you see the best surfing in the world go down on. But I think they also know that there's going to be a couple just curveballs every episode. And we never throw anybody like super random out there. Still people who are super established and have made boards for great surfers over the years. Um, my sense is that he thought this board that he really didn't like was from them, but from one of those like maybe lesser known people. And it turned out to be somebody from somebody who I think he has a tremendous amount of respect for somebody that I think everybody respects. And, uh, yeah, he writes the thing off, but we have heard that behind the scenes, they're laughing about it. I think everybody's just a good sport. It's a blind test. And so once he found out who it was, him and the shaper have already been texting and just already on super good terms about it, laughing. But uh, yeah, he, he really didn't see eye to eye with that one board, did he, Mikey? No. And there are a couple of other interesting details around this. So first and foremost, it really does go to show the subjectivity of surfboard preference. Like 
this is a board that is done or iterations of this board have done exceptionally well in this event before. And also one of the interesting notes that we heard from the brand after the fact is that the specific fin that Kolohe was riding, which is of course the Kolohe and Dino fin, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to go well in this particular model. This is like, again, subjective feedback that they've had and they've felt on their own board. So yeah, I guess they just, in their minds are like, oh man, like, yeah, I, this fin, for whatever reason, the combination of this fin and this board, it just doesn't work. And you saw it in Kolohe surfing, like that board was not working. And I've seen people in the comments and stuff saying like, oh, well the waves were, you know, this when they tested this board and that when they tested that board. If you have been surfing your whole life and you can watch this episode of Stab in the Dark, like we're talking about maybe like a 70% change in performance from like a 30% change in wave quality. Like you can just tell like some boards work really, really well under certain people's feet and others don't. And I do not think that if you put any of the boards that Kolohe lost from this episode, if you'd put them in the waves that were slightly better the next day for them, those two boards that happened to advance, like... I don't know. To me, it's it's night and day, the surfing that he's doing, the connection that he has to those boards, the initial speed that he gets from them, the control, like everything about them is just so far superior. So to like say it comes down to wave quality when the wave quality difference isn't even that high. I don't know. To me, that's like a non-starter. Mm, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've had the experience where changing a set of fins makes a board better for sure, but I've never had it like if you're not getting along with the board... I don't think a fin change, I think it's it's somewhat limited, right? I've had it where I'm like, oh, this board goes pretty good. Let me try out these fins. And it's like, oh, yes, this is the magic combo. But I've never had a board where, like, I think first impressions mean a lot. And I think uh, there's only, fins can do a ton, but there's only so much they can do. There's a lot. I, I've actually had, it's a singular experience, but I have had the experience where I put my normal fins into a board and it truly felt like I was just towing seaweed. I was going so slow. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I texted the shaper and he was like, try smaller fins. And I put smaller fins in and it literally felt like a different surfboard. It went from like one of the worst boards I'd ever ridden to like a perfectly great surfboard. So I think it's rare, but there are instances in which like fins can truly make or break. Actually, Dane Reynolds talked about that once like he was uh i think at j bay before the event and the waves were firing the morning of the event and he went out and he caught a wave or two and he said the board didn't even like couldn't even move and then somebody told him to switch fins before his heat so he's like fuck it i don't have anything to lose he threw in different fins and he dropped a 10 so it's rare but it does happen mm, mm. Well, i guess that said i've i've don't think i really had many surfboards where i couldn't figure out it to work like in some waves with some set of fins like it's going to be an ri board i've never really had something that isn't um but i do my experience has been they can't really pull a dog out of the mix it's still it's going to kind of work yeah but it's still not going to be the best board you've ever had i don't think this board was destined to do well in this event for one reason or another whether it was just like the pairing of of surfer and craft like kolohe said that he doesn't like boards that are super rockery. You can tell as soon as he stands up on this board. And this brand, I would say, say is pretty well known for having a lot of like flip in the nose. And it just didn't look like the right fit for Kolohe. It has been a really good fit for surfers in past iterations of this series. But you're just going to have to go watch it. Um, it's one of the most like surprising and eye-opening episodes of Stab in the Dark that I've ever seen, just in terms of 
Kolohe's quality of surfing from one board to another, like it's just so night and day. And it's so crazy to see somebody at that high of a level whose technique is so kind of refined and perfected, how much better he can surf on one high performance surfboard shaped by one of the best shapers in the world to another. Uh, So yeah, go give episode two a watch and episode three will drop on February 20th. Of course, that's on Stab Premium. Remember, we have an app as well, so you can watch it on like a big screen or whatever is easier for you. Um, and that in that episode, we'll determine all the finalists. And then, um, yeah, episode four, the finale, will drop on March 5th. So that's what we have to look forward to over the next few weeks. Yeah, put it in your Apple Vision Pro and get hit by a car like me. Should they have run pipe yesterday? That is what the title reads, but by yesterday we mean Monday. Monday was, I fucking hate saying the size of surf. Mikey, how big was Monday? Um, it was twelve second foot, reef with the 10, occasional third reefer. Eight, ten, some 12 foot waves. What are we talking here? Is that comfortable? Is it, a- it was fucking big buck, but it wasn't too big. There are people out there getting really sick waves, including people on the CT, um, so this was a huge question. I don't know about you, but I was just tuning in hour after hour to all these calls. Whenever the call got pushed back again, I'd like go back to the surf line cam and be like, I don't know. It looks pretty freaking contestable out there to me. I was so confused. I, since, so if I look at a Hawaii forecast from Europe, sometimes I get it wrong in that I'm off a day because I could look in my morning and it's still the day before in Hawaii and I get, I see like, oh, tomorrow's going to be good. So I thought the good day was, like, Saturday, I was sitting on my couch, I'm like, it's fucking on, the waves look good, I'm like, oh shit, you got the day wrong a little bit, and the forecast changed a little bit, but I had, like, these three false starts in a row, and I was livid on Monday when it finally looked good, right when they call it off, I got, I mean, Italo's wave, I think everybody has seen by now, Um, he got a good one, I heard pretty much as they're calling it off, uh, we're putting on a hold at that point. They say it's off for the day at that, at that stage. And I got that sent to me just from like the back of a camera from shout out Scotty Hammonds. Love you. Um, and I was just livid. I was like, I've been waiting this forever. That's the most fucked up wave I've seen in a while. I so badly want to watch surfers try to get those things in a heat and yell and the WSL did not give me that opportunity. They gave none of us that opportunity. No, they didn't. And, okay, we did this article, and our goal with it was basically to just kind of, like, spark conversation and maybe bring some new um, opinions to light because the Internet sentiment was fast and furious and going in one direction. It was a one-way highway, right? Everybody was pissed off, especially when they saw what the next day looked like, where it had dropped about two-thirds or three-quarters from the day prior. Mm. Um, But we did want to hear from some people who were on the ground, people whose opinions we respect, people who can, you know, like actually see the forest for the trees. Um, So Ryan Miller, this is his quote. He said, I was on the beach from 7 a.m. till about 11.30. A few crazy ones came through for sure, 10-point ride territory. Those were wildly inconsistent, though, maybe five to six waves total in that four-and-a-half-hour period. All the others were zeros. As much as I would have loved to see the highlight reel of a comp, it wouldn't have been a fair contest at all to run yesterday. So that was Ryan Miller's opinion. Granted, he left before midday, um, which means they still would have, in theory, had time to run heats through the afternoon. I'm not exactly sure if it improved. I think it did, based on what I saw. But that was one opinion. Um, Shane Dorian came... Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, okay. 
six tens in four and a half hours, that would have been the best day of competition ever. <laughs> That's a good point. Other than Fiji that one year. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Very good counterpoint to Miller there. So then Shane Dorian came onto the webcast and he made a really interesting acknowledgement, which is that the tour was in two distinct camps on Monday. There was the camp that is like, we should absolutely be running. It is fucking pumping out there. Let's go. And the camp that is like, uh, yeah, maybe. No, I don't think so. I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and you can decide for yourself what the reasoning behind that may be. I'm sure um, survival is a leading one for a lot of people. But I don't know. Like, we already had this incident come up with Felipe, right, where he obviously didn't have a great performance round one. He cited food poisoning for round two, didn't surf. Now we're getting a bigger portion of surfers who didn't want to surf this big day. How much should we take the surfer's opinions into account on a situation like this? Like, should the should the WSL, should it just be democratic? Should the surfers vote and the WSL just does whatever the majority thinks? I mean, does any other fucking sports league work like that where the players just have that much control? No. Like... You're there, I think, as a fan, just to... And there's obviously a side of me that gets, like, why the WSL made that decision. Um, Even in the events that we run at Stab, like, making that call, even for Stab High, is super stressful. It's fucking bafflingly. It's it's so hard, especially the forecast that changes every day the way the Hawaiian forecast does. Like, there's a side of me that absolutely gets it. But if I'm just going to sit back and be a fan for a moment... um, I don't think that they should have that much say. I don't think that's how sports leagues work. I think like, I think you're as a fan, the reason you're engaged is because there's some set rules and you get to watch how these people perform against those rules. Yeah. Um, that's it. Okay. So I think there's so many like layers to this, right? Cause the WSL is in such a tricky position. Last year, they went through a whole year where basically the wave sucked everywhere they went, despite their best efforts of obviously putting events at, you know, as good of venues as they could commercially and putting them in there in times of the year when the wave should theoretically be best. They just got unlucky and lucky and lucky. And people blame them for that, where that's not really their fault. You know what I mean? There's only so much you can control when it comes to wave quality. What you can control, however, is when you have waves within your window and you decide whether or not you want to run. I don't think this is a blanket rule that anybody should live their lives by, but the WSL is trying to find like success. Success comes from eyeballs, people caring about what they're doing, and like really big moments that even expand outside of our little surf bubble. What sport does that really well right now? UFC. What do you think Dana White would have said if he rocked up to the beach on Monday and it was his decision whether or not to put the surfers out in the water? Oh, man, he would have wanted that ultimate surfer to make themselves clear, buddy. Exactly. Like, how do you not like because the whole thing is the WSL changed its entire format and league system to create more entertainment. I think everyone would agree that the way that world titles are decided right now is objectively less fair to the surfers. The fairest way to pick a world champion in a sport with so many variables is to do it over the course of the year, let points accumulate at different style waves, the surfer with the most points at the end is the most complete surfer and therefore wins. But they're stripping that away, right? They're trying to make the mid-year cut to make it more compelling to give something people something to care about as the year goes on. They want to have these like really big interest points and yet 
they have the most interesting thing that you can have in surfing, which is giant barrels, as we saw throughout the entire Stab Surfer of the Year poll, and Eric Bogan made very clear with his comments, they've seen the success of Nate Florence's YouTube videos where he paddles out and doesn't even catch a wave. Like, we just saw him do this in some, you know, Pacific, Pacific Reef Pass. He goes out, he doesn't catch a wave, and it gets hundreds of thousands of views. They have the best surfers in the world at the most important wave in the world on one of its biggest days where, yes, it's going to be difficult to compete. It may not be the most, like, quote-unquote, fair competitive conditions, but you're guaranteeing that something exciting is going to happen, and you just let that opportunity pass. I just cannot understand it. Mm, mm, I'm with you, man. I think uh, I think there's we have data that suggests that we are not alone in these feelings. We did a poll on Zap's Instagram asking fans if they thought the WSL should have ran that day. 87% said yes, so uh, overwhelming majority there. One last point I want to make on this is I think in a way this is in part the mid-year cut faults too. I feel like if you had... 9, 11, just I know the calendar changes, but say you didn't have to worry about requalifying or not until the end of the year, I think it's less stressful to run heats in waves that you might have a bad stretch. You might just like, regardless of whether or not you would swing on the most psycho one, maybe you're just not in position for it and you lose a heat and it puts you in a bad place to requalify through the mid-year cut four events from now. I think in the longer system, in the old system, with a drawn out year, I think it's more likely this runs. And I think like they have run days at pipe that were, I think, probably bigger and more difficult than this in the past. And to think like, I don't know, it's almost like I, I put this down in the comments, but it's almost like they haven't learned anything from the women's case study, right? Like the women for years and years and years, they didn't put them out at waves that are scary or on days that had, you know, like pumping surf at specific locations because they thought they weren't ready for it. But then they start to give them that opportunity. And what happens? The women step up. I think if you, you wouldn't have put the women out there on Monday, not yet. But if you put the men out there, first of all, maybe a third of them are already excited to go out there and do it. Another third of them are going to force themselves to go out and do it. And then the other third is going to not step up. And that's part of the game. That's part of being a pro surfer is like, can you come and fucking defeat the ocean when it's at its biggest and meanest and gnarliest? So, um, yeah, obviously... I know there are a lot of factors. I know there are a lot of opinions. I wasn't there, so it's harder for me to say. But all these things combined, I think if there were opportunities out there, and we know that there were, just based on what we've seen and what we've heard, like to me it's a no-brainer. But anyway, we can't harp on it. Pipe will uh, likely end on Saturday. It looks like the waves are going to be really good to finish, so at least the WSL will end on a high note. But to me, it's just baffling. They didn't grab this opportunity uh, when they had it right in front of them. So anything else before we move on? And sorry, I, I wanted to save this maybe for Stace and I, but I just couldn't. I was just too, like, it's just too much. So anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's easy to be super negative about the WSL. And I think they get blamed for a lot of stuff that I think they do great stuff in general. A few little mistakes here and there. This was, in my opinion, a mistake. So still love you, Waz, but uh, damn, I would have loved to watch this go down on Monday. So that's all. How bodyboarders became the world's best surf cinematographers. Shorter answer here, Mikey. Uh, surfers went up to them and were like, hey, uh, can I pay you? And you like film me and uh, tell me when those slabs are going to be good. And they're like, yeah, all right. Um, but for a longer answer... 
Let's hear from this story's writer, Jed Smith, and have him break it down. This week, my contribution to the Stab Premium website is a feature article in which we take a look at the relationship between today's elite crop of free surfers, namely your Harry Bryant's, Noah Dean, Craig Anderson's, uh, and the bodyboarders who are basically shooting them uh, in these kinds of conditions, nailing clips in some of the heaviest water imaginable. Uh, they're also, you know, getting these guys to these locations, giving them some um, moral support when the waves are big and slabbing and potentially fatal. And the results of it all is just a match made in heaven, really, just an incredible. Uh, amount of A-class clips. We've, we've seen uh, Motel Hell, Harry Bryant's film, drop recently produced uh, in collaboration with Dave Fox, a, a, a former elite bodyboarder. Uh, at least two of Noah's previous films have been produced by James Cates, another former elite bodyboarder. And we take a look at a history uh, of this phenomenon where you know bodyboarders who were once totally maligned by the surfing community are now actually considered gods in uh, these kind of uh, tube golems, as Katie puts it, who are capable of getting just the best surfers in, in the best conditions. And man, it's just great theater, isn't it? Holy smokes. How good is the quality uh, of surf film coming out of Australia at the moment, particularly in this kind of free surfing uh slab specialist punt freak fraternity it's unmissable stuff and it couldn't have happened without these elite bodyboarders in the mix leo fioravanti on working with edron d'souza embracing the dark horse mentality and wanting to surf in the eddy Ooh, I did this one. I chat with Leo briefly after we did a trip to his home country of Italy and got really good waves in November. Basically, while I was there spending time with him, just a few things came up. Like I learned, actually I didn't learn on this trip. I knew that he was working with Edgerano, but we had some really nice conversations just naturally while I was there. And at the end, I was like, hey, we should just revisit a bunch of these things and let me put it in writing. And he was obviously keen. So that is the result of this. Any takeaways, Mikey? I wrote this one, so it's hard to see what's uh, going to stick out. Yeah, I mean, Leo's had such an interesting career for me because like, he was kind of just brought up as from the outside. It's not like I know or knew Leo super well when he was younger. But to me, he was just kind of like part of that little Quicksilver Super Grom pack that just got brought everywhere in the world to all the best waves in the world. I think you even... You talked to Belly about this pretty recently and how it's not like rocket science of how to make a world tour surfer. Like, Oh, <laughs> Belly is the most raw, honest guy I think I've ever met. And he's just like, it's not a fucking hard. <laughs> he's like, golf is hard. Golf, it's hard to get to the top. But he's like, for surfing, he's like, you could, you could take anybody with a little bit of talent and make them a world tour surfer. He's like, give me a kid that's 12, I can get them there. And I'm like, fuck, I kind of... I kind of believe you. <laughs> so to me, but that was, said, go ahead. Well, yeah, to me, it was like he was, you know, I think at the time it was Jack Robinson, Kanoa, and Leo who were sort of that pack. They were like the same age. Quicksilver brought them to all their events around the world, blah, blah, blah. To me, Leo was probably like the least talented of that group. 
Jack being on the other end of that equation, like just like a pure prodigy. Leo, um, for reasons that I think were largely related just to happenstance, right? Because like Leo is coming from Italy. It's not like he's coming from this deep, rich surf area. Um, but Belly was dating his mom. Is that how it worked? It's true. Yeah. So like just as a matter of circumstance, like Leo found himself in a position where he could be brought around the world. And as a result, he became an incredible world-class surfer. And now that he's gotten to the top, I think he's like reached a point where I think he's always been really confident, but I think he's reached a point where he's probably overcome the the naysayers, if they will, like even people like myself who just thought he was kind of like along for the ride and is really stepping into his own. And I think that, yeah, this interview is a really good amalgamation of that level of like confidence that he has. Like it's very clear. I don't know if he states it overtly. But it's very clear that he thinks that he should be right there battling for a world title and an Olympic gold. Yeah, and I think he's just very, I think he'd be the first to admit that I don't think he thinks he's the most talented surfer in the world. I think he's very aware, like part of what he was talking about in this interview with Adriano is like, it says in the title too, like embracing the dark horse mentality. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go out against Philippe and Trieres. Like, I'm not going to try to beat people these ways. I'm going to just like focus on myself. What are my strengths and how can I use those strengths to win heats? Like the guy works his fucking ass off. And one other thing that struck me on that trip, which I kind of knew about him before as well is he still just really loves to surf too. Like, I think he works hard. He'll train hard both in and out of the water, but like he'll surf for still hours a day without anybody filming just for the love of it. He talked about that in this, just being like, yeah, I just, it's still my favorite thing to do. And even talked about, I didn't put it in the interview. I don't think it would have been, it's just not great stuff to run, but how there are people that aren't quite like that. Some people just like are at that level, but like they don't seem to really froth on surfing anymore. They're like, they'll do it and they'll train and they'll, you know, be on it. But like, there's definitely people at that top level that are not, they're just kind of doing the bare minimum in terms of hours in the water. Right. And Leo's the fucking opposite man it's like hard to pull him away even when it's pretty average and even doesn't care about clips like he just loves to surf and i think that's really cool that's so sick yeah it's i mean the hardest thing for anybody who loves surfing like us or anybody listening to this podcast is to think that there are people out there who get paid good money to surf who like aren't even that into it when any of us <laughs> would kill to be in that position right so it's really cool when you see somebody that like actually that's just their fucking pride and joy and yet yeah, to the dark horse mentality like look at who he brought on as his coach oh. probably the least expected the least likely world champion of all time right adriano de souza like against all odds against a completely stacked tour um he he won a world title wedged between gabriel medina and john florence like to put adriano de souza in the middle of that and it's like to think about what you have to do to get to that point mentally physically and from like a strategic standpoint like i think it's very clear what uh what leo's going for with hiring that guy on mm-hmm. and i would have to think that the surf world is coming around to him. Like, I think when that happened, I think, you know, it's fair to say not everybody was thrilled about their it's 2016 or 2015? 2015. World champ. 2015. I would have to think we're at a point now where you can't just not respect what that guy did. Like, maybe in 2015, you would have preferred to see somebody, just a younger John, Medina, just these really exciting people at that time win. You maybe would have thought that would have been the best representation of who did the best serving that year. But when you put it that way, he won a title wedged between those two. 
you've got to fucking respect what that guy did. Especially nobody believed in him. People were writing him off his whole career, essentially. He fucking won a world title fair and square. Yes, he did. Yeah, he absolutely did. And then, so like Buck said, this interview was conducted back in late 2023. However, Leo is about to go into a quarterfinal matchup at Pipeline, presumably pumping Pipeline, against John Florence, who has been not only the standout of this event, but he's clearly the best surfer in the world at Pipe today. Uh, He won the Vans Pipe Masters earlier this year, or I guess late last year, and um, yeah, he's just the guy out there. So I think he's going to have to bring all of the stuff that he's learned from Adriano and all the hard work that he's done over the past year and the years prior to win that sort of event, and Buck is going to actually reach out to him before that heat to get some insights. We don't have those yet, but you'll be able to read them on the site interview, which drops on Friday, so probably around the same time as this episode. Mm, go check it out. That's going to be a great heat, I think. Seven ins and outs for surf culture in 2024. We did not invent ins and outs uh we ripped them from another publication more mainstream but some could say that ins and outs are just the start of humanity really they are we didn't invent them but i think we all enjoy them um ethan davis wrote this one i think he did a great job my personal favorite is his first in uh, not telling the person you're surfing with (laughs) where you stash the key i just really like that i back it as a strategy uh, we're about to hear from Ethan, but Mikey, what was your favorite one on this list? I mean, there's a couple that are more earnest. There's a couple that are more funny. Um, I really, I don't know if this is a thing near you, but the WhatsApp surf group thing is a pretty interesting one to me. I mean, like we all have like a little friend chat or whatever, but I'm talking about a 300 person WhatsApp. Group oh, I've heard of these. People. I've yeah. heard of these. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. terrifying. I mean, granted, we it's do live in wild. a world with surfline cameras, um, probably every like kilometer if you were to average them out. But still. Not here. Yeah. True. Not in Europa. The old world. You guys got cable over there yet or what's going on? Now we're getting there. I got <laughs> fucking 3G on my phone. What do you uh, got on that? Uh, yeah, not that. But what do, you, what do you got, Buck? Do you have any um, your own personal in or out for 2024? Yeah, in. Torch 90s sprays. Oh. I think take a can of spray paint to your surfboard. Your surfboard should look like it belongs on an ASP WQS podium, not a fucking wall of a coffee shop. Resin tints are out. Torch fucking spray paint jobs are in. I've already got one board. I already nailed one with it. So I'm single-handedly going to bring really bad spray paint jobs back. Okay. You did an in. I'll do an out. For me, out is the halfback. Um, We had a recent surf center actually present a halfback as a layback. It's not a layback if you just put your back arm behind you and touch the water while you're doing a turn. I hate that turn. I do it sometimes when it just feels like you kind of have to do like a quick little thing and there's not that much space, but I absolutely hate it. If you're going to do a layback, go all the way down. These halfbacks are out and the WSL should never ever, you should get negative 0.5 every time you do one. I back that. I really like that one. Um, I think we're all guilty. Like you said, it just sometimes it happens. There's like a certain... Yeah, it really is, and you kind of feel like you added something, but you didn't. You, you just did kind it. of put your little hand back you, there. You subtracted. You know who has been single-handedly trying to kill those is Mikey Wright. When that guy, when he starts laying back, he's going all no, the way. No, he's, he's double-handedly trying to take those out. That's the whole yeah, point. He, he doesn't stop. He'll fucking turn. He Yeah, he will go the whole way. So, 
All Good right. one, Mikey. I like that one. Fuck that turn. Let's hear from Ethan. Let's hear him. Hi, I'm Ethan. I'm the writer of Seven Ins and Outs in 2024. It's basically a listicle, which is probably the most low-rent form of journalism. Um, and it's got terrible AI art all over it. Um, but the short of it is it's the things you'd like to see more and less of in surf culture, uh, particularly this year. Um, things... I'd love to see more of is original soundtracks and uh, just licensing music. It means you can't play the big hits, but we've all heard the big hits. And uh, music licensing is becoming um, really tricky for all parties, for surf filmmakers, for us, for, for media companies. Um, and I think it actually is a good a good challenge because you're forced to get creative. You're forced to either make your own music to use local artists that you can afford, um, rather than just going to the record companies and paying a bomb for music licenses that actually typically expire, um, after two to three years, things I'd like to see less of, um, uh, things like WhatsApp surf groups, really cruel. Byron Bay has its own WhatsApp surf group with over 300 people in it. And all day long from Lennox to Belongel, they are posting photos of the surf, um, which is obviously contributing to a crowd problem. Um, really silly. Uh, you're kind of doing yourself uh, the biggest disservice by making your sessions more crowded. Anyway, uh, definitely like to see less of that. L love to see more travel insurance. Um, lots of guys got hurt uh, last year and towards the beginning of this year. Um, and obviously, if you're going to a place like Pipeline or anywhere in Indo, any wave that has you know a good chance of of hurting you and uh, seeing you end up in hospital, uh, you should probably get travel insurance um, and a good one that, you know, make sure that you're covered no matter what. So, yeah, there's a bunch more. There's Surfline's highlight feature. There's the Olympics. There's some other silly ones. Um, but, yeah, it's basically meant to be a fun piece. And it's an opinion piece, and if you hate what I say, that's all good. I'd love to hear what your ins and outs of 2024 are. Well, Adam. Hey, morning, Buck. Morning, Mikey. How's it going? Good. Good morning. Welcome to the WQS. How are you feeling? What's going on today? No, just waking up, man, getting some coffee, getting my kids morning diaper changed, you know, the good stuff. Wow. Wow. And where are you? Uh, San Diego, uh, Oceanside, really. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Home of Stabs U.S. branch. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are around. I see you every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Are you, uh, are you feeling ready for the WQS, Stabs World Quiz Series? Oof. Yeah, let's go, man. I do read a lot of Stabs in my spare time. All right, all right. You're gonna have to have a good memory on you too, because right, we're it. gonna we're gonna go deep here. Okay. So we've got three questions for you, Adam. Mm -hmm. You're gonna need to get what's our deal, Mikey? We get if you get three right, you get a free membership or something, or you get a prize. Two right. Only needs to get two out of three. Oh, two right, you get 
a free membership. Damn, dude. I want to win this quiz. Two-thirds of a membership. And if you're a size medium, size medium, you get a free wetsuit from Buck as well. We'll figure it out. Oh, that's <laughs> only for Euros because it's customs. I sent it to JD uh, no. this, this past Wednesday. No, bro. I'm 40 years old. I am not a size medium. Oh, okay. <laughs> no weddings for you, but if you're – if you're a medium European out there, you still have a chance. Send me an email. I'll get right. on the program. Oh, and Let's... I wanted to note before we start, though, that Adam was the reason he's on today. He was the first person to sign up for our World Quiz Series show. He was the number one uh, that signed up. So congratulations for being quick on the draw. You're quick on the stab emails. I like that. Yeah. Oceanside's got love for stab, guys. Long-term oh. premium member as well. Yep. Yeah. The love is mutual, but yeah. we'll see if it remains after the quiz. Oh, Here we go. Nice. Ripping in with question one. All right. Hit it. In episode two of Stab in the Dark with Kolohe Andino, brother mentioned that one famous surfer's best board ever was an accidental ASIM with a warped blank. Kolohe mm -hmm. claims that the surfer tried to replicate this mistake over 100 times, but never could. Which surfer and what board was he referring to? You gotta, give the, you gotta give the guesses. Wait, hold, 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 hold. You got. I, I thought you were going in. Oh, with I got the it. Guesses. This is easy, bro. This is this is cake. Who is oh, John good. John Florence? Fuck. I got it. Also, also, it was two hundred times he tried to replicate it. Fuck. <laughs> Holy shit! He didn't even need options. I All right, that's already a prize. This this guy's really good. He's really good. Okay, so just a little bit more detail on this as well. Um, so this yeah. board that we're talking about is John's famous 6-2 Pizel Ghost that he rode at Margaret River in 2017. Um, 2017 was the second year that John won a world title, and he surfed six of 11 events that year on that ghost. And his average heat total that year was just shy of 16 points, which is an excellent heat. And that's the highest heat average ever for a whole season throughout WSL history. And one in every four waves he rode that season was excellent. So that just goes to show how dominant he was that year and specifically on that board. I mean, to be fair, you name a board that, like, what do you think is going to happen? True. You know what I mean? It's going to ghost you. Yeah. <laughs> was it wow. The, was it the, the fin, like, sideways? Or was it just, just pushed in blank? I think, no, he was saying that that was, the fin thing was a, a different board that Kolohe was riding. But I think with the John board, it was like there was some sort of bend to it or something. He wasn't super specific. We're going to have to talk to Pizel to get the full details. Yeah, dude. Warp your blanks. Warp your blanks. Well, anyway, this is only our second week. This is the first time that somebody's not needed options. So we love that. <laughs> this is, uh, he's the WQS leader so far, Adam. But let's see how he goes with question number two. This week, the WSL decided not to run on a big day at Pipe, citing uncondescendable conditions. On June 8th, 2012, the Vulcan Fiji Pro was also called off for having too big of barrels, but only after running two heats at max and cloud break. The hours that followed led to one of the best free surf super sessions of this millennium. Which of the following surfers did not paddle out for that session? You've got option A, John Florence, option B, Pat Godowskis, and option C, Kelly Slater. What do you got, Adam? Kelly. Oh, he's got it again. He's good. This got guy's it again. good, man. John paddled that out. Good, and that was a good year. That was a really good year. So John paddled out. He got a crazy, crazy wave. I think he actually got a couple waves, but there's one that stands out to me where he was just perfectly in the pocket for so long. Um, Pat Godowskis paddled out on, I think it was like a 6-4 or something and had some ridiculous airdrop into a wave, just completely undergunned, but wanted a piece of it. 
On the Kelly side, Kelly's a really interesting case because he obviously is an Eddie winner. He's won pipe a million times. He's surfed tons of big waves. Like he's certainly courageous. Like he goes out, surfs the gnarliest waves in the world. But there are some days where he kind of says like, hey, I'm just kind of listening to my body, listening to the universe. And it's just like not really drawing me to go out there. There's been a few instances of this. One was this day at Cloudbreak where he went into the commentator's booth and even paddled out into the channel to kind of feel the energy a bit more, but never made his way into the lineup. We saw this also at the Eddie a couple years back where he was, uh, he was on the draw, but he decided not to go out. And that other big day at Himalayas where, interestingly enough, he has that really cool shot where he's sitting in the channel with his hands up in front of John's giant barrel that has been sort of that image of John that stands out in our mind. So um, Kelly's always around. He doesn't like to kind of like hide in the corner when the waves get to that level, um, but he doesn't always paddle out. But I think it's cool that he always kind of puts himself there because he just loves being a part of those moments. He was there at the Himalayas day? The day that John got his big wave, he's like in the foreground with his hands up. What? That's crazy. He's always there. Can't get a swell past the guy. <laughs> Can't see him pass him. I think if they get waves like that again in Fiji, there's going to be like an E. coli outbreak on the island. There's going to be a lot of food poisoning that morning going based off how this year's tour is going, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What's number three, Buck? He's already got, he's already got the win. He's already got the but- free membership. Uh, great work. Great work. Thank you. Can you Thank go you. three for three? Office Place Romance, we're calling this one. As revealed on stabmag.com this week, some famously intelligent surfers on the 2024 championship tour are dating. Who are they? Option one, oh. Rip Curl teammates Gabrielle Medina and Alyssa Spencer. Option two, East Coast Aussies Liam O'Brien and Sophie McCulloch. Or option three, a 2% thruple. Crosby Colapinto, Cade Matson, and Cole Hauschmann are rumored to be getting married so that no matter which one of them makes the cut, they all get the WSL's health insurance plan through 2024. <laughs> what do you got? It's got to be the Aussies. Uh, it's got to be. I, I, I mean, health insurance is rough around here, but like, it's got to be the Aussies. <laughs> you have gone three for three, Adam. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's the WQS, and we grovel a lot here in outside, man. Wow. <laughs> thanks guys bonus one right. bonus one oh, we were thinking right. out these questions for a little bit bonus question back to that fiji comp which one of the surfers did not surf a heat that morning option a adam melling option b matt wilkinson or option c ty otten mm. so like two heats that morning so four people surfed i, I know was, rayoni surfed yeah i think it was i think it was what was the first name? Adam Melling, Matt Wilkinson, and Kai Otten. Uh, Wilco. God damn, four for four bonus one too. Wow, wow. this guy's ready for the CS. You know, dude. Wow. You know, Kai was paddling out in that for sure. Damn, true. That All is right. awesome. Nice work, my friend. Thanks, guys. Um, Appreciate you having me on. This is super cool. All right, Mikey, what else is coming? I heard a little rumor. I heard a little rumor that we've got a joyride with the Campbell Designs, is it? That's right. Yeah, I actually just finished this down in Costa Rica. Waves were pumping. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but I will just say that this is probably the... We talked about in Stab in the Dark every year, we bring in like a couple of shapers that people don't know a ton about. I would say for me, this is the shaper that 
at least in the U.S., people don't know a ton about that has made the best boards that I've ridden, like really, really, really messed up good high-performance surfboards. So that'll be coming next week. Damn. More importantly, Chicken though. noodle, Campbell soup. That's true, true. Um, not Campbell Bros. Campbell designed. Um, but more importantly, next week, we have a really, really big film release. Um, I'm sure you've heard a lot about this. You may have even been to a premiere if you were out on the North Shore. I don't know if they did other ones, but um, this has been in the works for a little while now. We know about some of the sessions. Um, we know that they scored really good waves, and we know that it's pushing the, the boundaries of female surfing, and that is Sierra Kerr's film Precursor, which is coming to Stab Premium on February 15th. Uh, so premium members, this is another one like Noah Dean's MASH where we went out and we made a deal with the creators because we know that this is like a really important piece of surf cinema and we want you guys to have it. So you're going to get it really, really soon. Uh, it's Thursday of next week. I haven't seen it yet, have you? No, I have not, but I'm so excited. Shit. Me too. I was hoping you'd give us a little spiel. I, well, I, Groundbreaking, you think? I think I have so. a feeling it's going to be like a film, like a first chapter-esque look back on type situation i agree and like obviously she's under the tutelage of her dad she's going to waves like the box she's going to tahiti hawaii etc on top of doing some of if not the best airs that any woman in the world is doing so she's obviously part of that future that includes katie molly aaron etc that we're starting to see on tour and they're just going to keep filtering on i would imagine so really really exciting um, so like I said, that's coming next Thursday. And then also, I mean, there's all this talk about pipe and Stace and I still need to come on and do our post pipe debrief after that event ends. But two days after that, the sunset window opens. So that's going to be coming probably next week as well, the start of that event. So a lot to look forward to. Hurley Pro, baby. That's right. One of the two brands sponsoring CT events right now. Surf brands. Hurley Pro. Yeah, it's really good. Surf brand, sorry. Thanks, Harley. Well, Lexus is a surf brand, I thought. <laughs> yeah. No? In some places, maybe. Uh, anyway, I guess that's it for this week, Buck. Um, another really exciting week on the drop, and you know what we have to look forward to. So until then, over and out. God bless. <laughs>